You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. If you're still in line to grab some food or, or coffee, Damien, good to see you. Um, that's all good. Take your time. But I wanted to introduce myself. I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. My name's Jake Box, I get to be a pastor here at Midtown Church, and so glad that you're joining us. And uh, Sharon, thanks so much for uh, sharing with us what's happening in, the, in your ministry. I mean, it's just so encouraging and exciting. Uh, for you guys, if you are like, hey, how do I get involved in that? You can take the connection card and just write on the prayer request, just write ESL. And we'll get in touch with you and connect you with Sharon and figure out how to get you involved. So if you want to get more information, write ESL on here or on the app, just submit on the prayer request on the app, ESL, and we will get you information. You can find out more and uh, perhaps get involved. So I want to encourage you to take that step. It's a really awesome uh, opportunity. Well, hey, we're uh, continuing the series that we've been in, in the book of James. We're just kind of methodically walking through the book of James. We're calling the series Wisdom for Life because the book of James is just full of God's wisdom in regards to how to navigate life, how to persevere in trials, how to relate to one another, and all kinds of good stuff. And so hopefully you've been getting a lot out of this. Um, Today, we're going to be in James chapter 4, verses 7, or I'm sorry, 11 through 17. And in this passage, James is going to give us some wisdom regarding humility. Wisdom regarding humility, basically giving us a couple pictures into how humility should be lived out or what it looks like or what it doesn't look like in regards to two key everyday aspects of life. And so it uh, should, be, should be helpful, but before I get into it, I want to see how helpful it will be, because it could be that this is a topic that none of us need. Like, we don't really need to hear about humility. And so I figured by a show of hands, maybe you could let me know. If you think you're super humble, just go ahead and raise your hands, and uh, that will know. Yeah, yeah, Damien, I, I expected you to do that. Yeah, thanks. Um, now, that's not very fair, is it? Because it's like, yeah, okay, no one raises their hand, and does that mean no one is humble or that you all are humble and you know better than to raise your hands? It, it highlights the fact that humility can be a, a tricky subject, can it? Because it's, it's, like, it's like the idea that as soon as you think you are humble, perhaps you're no longer humble. And so how do you know if you're humble? How do you know if you have true, genuine humility in your life? Well, that's what uh, this passage is going to help us understand. And he's going to, James is going to give us wisdom about humility and how to know if we are genuinely humble, all right? And so here's what we're going to do. Here's where we're going this morning. We're going to let uh, God's Word answer a few big questions for us. One is, okay, why is humility important? Second is, what exactly is humility? And for that matter, what's pride? And then, what does it look like? And how do you grow in it? So that's where we're going. <laughs> why is it important? Uh, what is it? What does it look like? And how do we grow in it? So let me pray, and then we'll dive into this. Heavenly Father, God, we, we do uh, just humbly begin here by asking you to speak to us and to give us ears to hear, and that you would grow us in humility, that we would take what you say and we would place ourselves under it and we would apply it for your gl uh, glory, God, and for the good of many. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so let's begin with the question, 
Why is humility important? Like, why should we even really care? Why does James dive into this subject in chapter 4 of his short little letter? Why, why is this important? I think that if we were to ask James that, he would just point us directly to what he said prior to the verses that we're looking at today. He would, he would go to verse 6 of chapter 4, which says this, But he, talking about God, gives us more grace. That's why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. And then verse 10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So we ask, okay, James, why is humility a big deal? So it, this is why. Uh, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I, I don't know about you guys, but that does it for me, <laughs> right? Like if you're giving me a, uh, uh, options, option A, Hey, would you want the all-powerful supreme being of the universe, God, to oppose you, right, to work against you, or option B, to show you grace, favor? I'm going with B every single time, and I'm thinking you probably are too. So, like, this is important, like, even if you don't believe that there is a God, if you're here just exploring faith, you're not real sure if there's a God, or you're not sure where you are and the whole idea of Christianity, like... My guess is that you would even want to hedge your bets on this side of things. Like, all right, like, I don't really know yet, but maybe I should practice on this humility thing just in case, right? So, like, this is something we should all would want to, like, lean into. This seems really important. Well, and it also begs the question, what exactly is it? Like, if God opposes the proud but gives favor, shows favor to the humble, I would want to make sure that I understand what humility is, what it really means to be humble, and what pride is, or what it really means to be proud. So let me define a couple of terms for us as we're getting started this morning. And let's just begin with the word pride, because that's word is, that word in English can kind of carry different meanings, right? Because in an English language, we use the word pride to mean something positive and to mean something negative, right? So on a positive side, Usually we mean it to be something that we like take deep pleasure or satisfaction in something that we've done or something that a loved one has done or who they are. And like in that sense, pride is a really great thing. That's, that's a good thing. That's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about pride. See, when the Bible speaks of pride, it's always a negative term. Every single time the word pride is used, it's always in negative connotations. And to help you understand why, let me break down this word pride in the Greek. And I'm going to risk getting too technical for us this morning, but I find this stuff interesting. The uh, word pride in the Greek that we translate pride is actually a compound word that with a prefix and a verb. And the prefix means above. And the verb means to appear. So you put that together, a very literal definition of the word that we translate pride means to appear above, to appear above. And now what's also interesting, again, at risk of being too technical, the Greek word that we, get, that we translate to appear is also the word that we get our word phantom from, meaning like something that's a mirage, something that's not actually in line with reality. So if you put all of that together, a simple definition of pride is this, that it, it means uh, an accurate, an inaccurate view of self, where you think you are above when you're not. Pride is thinking that you're above, thinking you're above others, thinking you're above God when you are not. Oh, that's pride. 
It's, it's the idea of to appear above. C.S. Lewis uh, said this about pride. I thought this was pretty clever. He says, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. All right. Very nice. That's the, he's playing off the idea of uh, to appear above. That's what pride means. Now, humility is the complete opposite like, of, of pride. And this is pretty fascinating. If you give a literal definition of the Greek word that we translate humility, it literally means to make low or to bring low. So pride, to appear above. Humility, to make low or to bring low, where you say, okay, I'm not trying to appear above others. I'm going to make myself be lower than others in order to serve them or serve God. That's what humility is. Now, with that understanding, we read this in the book of James, chapter 4. If we start at verse 10, he says this, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And it's as if James is like makes some kind of rational connection with where he goes in verse 11. He's saying, okay, I know you, I've just called you to humble yourselves before the Lord. Let me help you understand what that looks like. Let me give you just a couple of everyday scenarios to show you what humility looks like, what it doesn't look like. And so very next verse, he says this, verse 11, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. And so what he's doing here, if you can follow his train of thought, is that he's saying, okay, I've just called you to be humble. Let me give you a way to evaluate if you're actually being humble in regards to how you interact with and speak with or speak about other people. Let me help you determine if you are actually humble. Because you can really just look at how you speak about others. And this uh, statement where he says, okay, brothers, um, do not slander one another, don't speak about it, don't judge. It's, it's interesting because this word, um, I think, I've highlighted here this word that was translated slander and then also speaks against and speaks against. That's actually the same Greek word used three times in, once, in one verse or in these two sentences. Like James is trying to get at something by using this same word three times. And so it's helpful for us to understand, okay, what exactly does that mean to speak against? Because that's actually the literal translation of this word. The, the interpreters in the NIV, this is what we preach from, they go ahead and just take that word and make it mean slander at the first. But it's really the exact same word. Speak against, speak against, speak against. The reason they say it's slander is because this word, this idea of speaking against, actually is a broad term that really means negative talk or evil talk towards another person. And slander falls into that category, right? Slandering someone is when you make falsehoods or you make... You tell lies about someone else. That's slander. That's not good. But it can also mean gossip. Like, and gossip is even broader than slander because gossip, you're, you're telling lies about someone else. When you gossip, sometimes you're actually telling the truth about someone else, but it's not something that you need to share. Uh, this is for free, but a helpful uh, guard against gossip, if you care to know, that uh, has helped me throughout life is just asking the question, hey, is this my story to tell? Like, if I'm wondering, like, should I actually talk about this? This might be true or is true, but is this my story to tell? So we got to ask things. we got to guard against gossip because that's speaking against your brother or sisters. Not good. Uh, 
and speaking against can also mean to ridicule. Like when you ridicule, you when you mock someone for a fault or failure or weakness. I mean, that's, that also falls under the, the big category of speaking against. And James is saying, man, we should not do that towards one another. That is right out. Now, take a step back from this and say, okay, well, why, why does he go there, right? Why is this what follows the statement of humble yourselves before the Lord that he will lift you up or he will exalt you? Well, the reason is the connection here with pride and humility is this. I think we can probably see this, but let me point it out. The connection is when we uh, talk bad about someone else to their face or behind their back, what often is driving, and maybe you could even say every single time, what is driving that is pride. Because what you want to do is you are using your words to try to make someone else low, bring someone else low, so that either in your mind they're on your level or perhaps to even make you appear above them. That's pride at play, and God hates that. God opposes the proud, and James says, don't do that. Sometimes I'll have uh, someone come up to, and talk to me about um, something dumb that uh, a pastor has done. I mean, a pastor from their old church or a, a famous pastor or something like that. And uh, since pastors are doing uh, dumb things all the time, there's lots of opportunities for people to come up and tell me that. I'm sure people are saying stuff, same stuff about me too. But um, when someone comes and talks to me about that, I usually think about man, this is, prob- this is gossip. I, I sh- we should not be talking about this. And at the same time, I usually think, man, I'm so glad you're telling me this because, man, that pastor's an idiot. Like, I would never do something like that. And this pastor, in my mind, has been made low, is being brought low. And if I would say, man, I never would do that, then I'm feeling like I'm above them. And like, man, friends, that's pride. God opposes the proud. God hates that. James goes on. He he says, hey, don't only speak against one another, but also don't judge one another, right? Go back to verse 11. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. Now, let's talk about this word judging, because this is something that I think we would all say amen to. We should not judge one another. The church is just so known for being judgmental, and it's just the worst, right? And people are are, are arm's distance from the church because we're we're just judgmental. We're judgmental people. It's like, man, we don't, we should not judge. And we, yeah, absolutely, that is so true, especially it's true every single time when it comes to Christians judging people who are not Christ followers, who are not Christians, we, friends, Scripture is clear, are told to never judge those outside of the church. Stop it. Don't do that. However, this gets a little confusing when you think kind of critically about what James is saying here. Because he's specifically talking about brothers and sisters. He's talking about those within the faith. And what he says here is we should not judge. And yet, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5... Paul says we should judge one another. And so you think, okay, what does that mean? Like, what, do we judge? Do we not judge? What is it? So let me, let me dive into this real quick, and then we'll, we'll move on. But to help for clarity's sake, 
it's helpful to note that the, the Greek term for judge, it's not a, it's not a positive or a negative term. It, it just simply means to differentiate or to make a distinction or to separate. And in Scripture, we can make a differentiation or we can, a distinction between different types of judgment found that believers should or should not do towards one another. Okay? For example, in Scripture, we're actually called to practice what we would say is good judgment, right? Or another word for that would be discernment, right? That's a good thing. That's lifted up to Christians. Be discerning. Use good judgment, right? So I think about um, Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and he says it this way. He says, um, he says uh, where am I here? Um, there we go. Uh, don't be, he tells Timothy, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, which is kind of a weird statement that Kanye is making popular in his latest album, Hands On. There we go. And that's actually what he's referring to, in case you were interested. But what Paul is saying to Timothy, I'm trying to be cool. I'm just, I'm not good at that. But um, <laughs> y'all laughed way too hard at that. This is, this, y'all are humbling me right now. Um, what Paul's getting at when he tells Timothy that is, hey, you should use discernment. You should actually evaluate before you elevate someone to a position of leadership. Don't be, don't be quick to that. Use discernment. That's a good thing. Like, friends, if you're dating right now, it was wise for you to say, uh, to use discernment, use good judgment to, uh, about who you go on dates with. That's good. That's good judgment. That's not what Paul, I mean, what James is talking about in this verse. In addition, James is not talking about what we could say is admonishing or uh, lovingly rebuking other Christians. Again, this is just between the family, brothers and sisters, not outside of the church. But we are actually called to judge or practice judgment, judge one another in, in order to admonish one another, to encourage people to walk faithfully with God and love one another well. That's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, that's what um, Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. In fact, let me just read that for you. Jesus says this. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now, that, it requires judgment to make a judgment that there's someone who's in sin and to know to go and talk to them. But... Here's what's super, super important. I want you to hear this. If you're tuned out, tune back in. The purpose of this type of judgment is always for drawing people back into relationship with God and with others. It's always done for the purpose of restoration of relationship. Always. It's why... Jesus would say, and we see this throughout Scripture, that we are to go to people initially, always first, one-on-one. -on -one. Someone's in sin, you go to them first. You just talk just between you. You don't go to someone else and say, hey, did you hear about that? That's speaking against. That's wrong. We go directly to them, and we say, hey, out of love, let me point this out to you. Let's call you back in a relationship. Why? Because that helps bring restoration. You're not ostracizing. When I say you're not ostracizing, that's what gets at what James is talking about in verse 11. Because there is a form of judgment, and we have experienced it, sadly, 
where you feel judged by someone for the purpose of them trying to make you feel low and separate you from relationships, where they are trying to ostracize you, to condemn you and reject you. And that is the type of judgment that James is saying, brothers and sisters, do not do. Why? Because that's a form of pride. Hey, let me look at you, see something in you, call it out to separate you so that you feel low and I feel above you to appear above. God hates that. God opposes the proud. So, let me ask. In light of all that, you evaluate your speech and how you talk about others. Are you humble? Or do you find that you are at times using your speech to drag others down, to make people look less than, so that you can appear above them? If not, that's a sign of humility in you. But if so, that's a sign of pride. And we should repent from that, confess that, and move on from that. See, because this picture that James gives us here is all negative, right? It's like, let me show you, help you evaluate what humility is. And he says, okay, uh, let me just talk about what not to do. But if you want to really know what true humility looks like, you just flip all that on its head. And you say, okay, humility is uh, using my speech to build others up, to encourage others. It's what uh, Matt was talking about a few weeks ago, using our speech to be a blessing and not a curse. All right? So, thanks, Bill. Um, <laughs> Now, I think we can all see why that's important. There's lots of reasons why all that's important. But it's interesting what James points to in this same verse, verse 11. He, he says this at the very end. The reason why you shouldn't do that is because anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them and speaks against the law and judges it. And you think, okay, well, that's kind of a weird statement, right? What do you mean? Speaks against the law and judges it. Well, this idea of speaking against the law, it's, that's the idea of this word speaking against meaning ridicules mocks the law and judges it. Judges it in the sense of puts themselves above the law. So you ask, okay, what law are you talking about? Well, generally, you just say this is God's law, right? This is the law of God. And you're putting yourself above the law of God, which you put yourself above the law of God. You are, whether you would want to admit it or not, also placing yourself above the lawgiver, who's God himself. But if you want to get even more specific, probably James is referring to the law in, uh, that he had referred to in chapter 2, and there he called the royal law. You remember that verse, the royal law says this. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. He says, when you speak against and you judge one another, you are actually speaking against, you're ridiculing God's law and you're judging it because you are not loving your neighbor as yourself. How can you love your neighbor as yourself when what you are by your very words is trying to make yourself appear above and make them bring low? You, can't, you are not loving them as you love yourself. You're trying to be above. You're trying to bring them up. You're judging the law. You're mocking the law, and you're putting yourself in the place of God. James gets really specific about that in the very next verse, verse 12. He, this is what he calls out. He says, there's only one lawgiver. I said, when you judge the law, you're not keeping it. But you're sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, 
the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Like, who do you think you are? <laughs> you hear James' tone here? Like, he's like flabbergasted. Like, who do you think you are? What are you doing? You're acting in pride. You're placing yourself above God when you refuse to submit yourself to what God has said that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. You've made you the lawgiver. You've made you the judge. And he says, but you are not the lawgiver and you are not the judge. You are trying to appear above, but you, it's a mirage. It's a phantom. It's not true. Who do you think you are? So he's calling us to humility. When it comes to what does humility look like, you could say this if you just sum it up. It looks like building others up, not tearing them down with your speech. Then instead of trying to bring people low, you go low in order to bring them up. You encourage, you edify, you bless with your words. That's humility. And it means submitting to and obeying God's law, specifically in this case, the law to love your neighbor as yourself. When you place yourself under God's law, that's humility. When you place yourself under others to build them up, that's humility. And again, let me ask, are you humble? Are you humble? Well, James isn't done yet. He's going to give us another way to evaluate if we are humble, if we have true humility in our lives. And this is what he gets into in verse uh, 13. He's going to say this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James' questions in this passage just crack me up. Like, who do you think you are? You know, what is your life? Like, he's like, come on, you're just acting so pridefully. But here's what he's pointing out in, this, in, in these verses. He, he's saying, um, you can actually identify if you're living... Uh, pridefully, if you're a proud person, by evaluating how you think about or plan for the future. How you think about or plan for the future. See, for the kind of person that says, okay, I, you know, I'm going to call the shots in my life and I'm going to act as if I know what the future holds, that person is a prideful person. And you are placing yourself above God by the way that you think that you are appearing above God in your own mind and say, I know the future, I know what it holds, and I'm going to call the shots, I'm going to determine what I do on my own. That's pride. Now, here's the thing. Uh, that doesn't feel like pride to us. I mean, most of the time, like if <laughs> your friend tells you, you're in an MC, a huddle, and someone says, hey guys, I want y'all to know, um, taking another job, Moving to Houston, probably moving in the next week or so. You're probably not thinking, wow, that is so arrogant. <laughs> right? I mean, they're just like stating facts, right? And, but, but here, James says, okay, when someone says, okay, I'm going to, you know, here's what I'm going to do in a couple of days. I'm going to move to such and such town. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to make this money. And it's like, that's the equivalent. That's a modern day equivalent of saying, hey, I took another job headed off to Houston, I'm going to make some money. No one says that, but we're going to, you know, got a new job. <laughs> James says, no, that's arrogant. 
And the reason it's arrogant, or the way to know if it actually is arrogant, is if you're making that statement without acknowledging and seeking after God's will in that decision. James goes on, he says this in verse 15. He says, Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, meaning like currently, the way that you're functioning, as it is, you boast in arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. Why is it evil? It's, just to be clear, it's not because planning is evil. Planning is a good thing, right? You read throughout Scripture, you see planning is held up as a, a wise thing to do. Read Proverbs 6, read Proverbs 21, verse 5. Plan. Planning is good, but planning apart from acknowledging God's sovereign control and submission to his will is evil. It is arrogant. Why? Because it's a form of pride. It's usurping the position of God. It's putting yourself, it's, it's built out of this idea that you just appear, you think you are above God. We don't say that, but that's what it is. That's what James is pointing out. You think you call the shots. You think you're in control. You think you know the future. Man, I do that all stinking time. I'm reading this. I'm like, man, I'm full of pride. I need to acknowledge this. It's interesting. He, he says uh, there's really two parts to this conviction. And let me be clear about this. This idea of saying, here's what you ought to say. If it's the Lord's will, this is, James is not giving us a cliche statement that we need to adopt and put in front and insert before every single thing we say. Uh, if it's the Lord's will, I'm going to grab lunch today. If it's the Lord's will, I'm going to watch the Cowboys. If it's the Lord's will, I'm going to fall asleep in the middle of it and take a nap. It, you know, it's, it's the Lord's will. It's the Lord's will. It's like, man, it's a good thing. It's, I know it's not the Lord's will to punch you in the face for saying that over and over again. Like, like that's not, the idea is not to adopt that and make that a cliche statement. It really is to build this in and humility, make it a humble conviction. And the conviction is twofold. I said it a second ago, but the conviction is this. First, it's built out of this line where he says, um, if it's the Lord's will, we will live. We will live. And that's a statement that is acknowledging God's sovereign control. That he's God and you're not. He knows the future, you do not. He's numbered your days. You have no idea how many days you have left. And it's just this, it's, it's humility. It says, okay, God's sovereign and in control. I'm not. I'm going to be low. I'm not going to try to appear above him. That's the first part of this. The second part is built out of the part where he says, if it's the Lord's will, we will do this or that, right? And that's a statement on submitting to God's revealed will. Okay, yeah, I mean, we can make plans to do this or that, but here's what I'm going to absolutely prioritize in my planning. I'm going to prioritize what God has clearly told me I should prioritize. I'm going to prioritize what God's revealed will is. And friends, God's will revealed in Scripture, it's not that complicated. I mean, 2 Thessalonians tells you it's God's will for you to be sanctified. It's God's will for you to grow in Christ-likeness. We know it's God's will for you to know him and worship him. It's God's will for you to love your neighbor as yourself. It's God's will for you to be his witness, to help people know him, 
to go and make disciples. It's God's will for us to love one another. Like these things, these are what God has laid out for us. We say, okay, that is super important to me. So whatever I'm going to do, this or that, here's what I know I'm going to submit myself to God's revealed will. And if something that I want to do contradicts that, then I'm going to not do that. I'm going to submit myself to God's revealed will because that's placing myself under. Does that make sense? Um, I have a lot more I'd love to say on that because we're we're, we're a church that by our demographic, we're very transient. Everyone in here, uh, to some degree, and a lot of y'all to a major degree, have unrest about where you are in your stage of life. Like, I'm trying to think, is this the job I'm going to stay at? Is this the place I'm going to stay at? Is this the career that I want to stay in? Is this the degree that I want to get? Is that, and everyone's thinking, okay, what's the next move? Friends, when you think about those things, is it full of pride? Are you just thinking about what you want? What's going to make you happy, what's going to make you more comfortable, what's going to make you more money, what's going to give you more power or prestige, what's how you get a bigger house, I mean, whatever. Or do you actually factor in, first and foremost, God's sovereign control and his revealed will? Are you, pride, are you, are you proud or are you humble? See, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Um, James tacks on one more verse. He says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. And it kind of comes off the heels of God's revealed will. And it's just saying, okay, look, we often think about sin as, like, i got to avoid the things God says not to do. If I don't do the things I shouldn't do, then I'm good. But God, James is like, no, 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 there's two sides of that. It's also making sure you're doing what God has said to do. It's living according to his revealed will. Why? Because that's a sign of humility. Making yourself low, placing yourself under what God has said. That's humility. Okay. Um, how, do we make, how do we plan for the future humbly? So sum it up, I'd say this. We make plans. You make plans. Plans are good. But you make plans while acknowledging God's sovereign control and in submission to his revealed will. That's a sign of humility. So, in light of all that, again, can come back to the same question. Are you humble? Are you humble? Most likely, all of us feel like we're some kind of mixed bag. All of us feel like, yeah, okay, I've got room to grow when it comes to humility. I'm not, maybe I'm not the proudest person ever, but I've got room to grow here. So if that's true, we all have room to grow, then that begs the last question, which is, okay, how do we grow in humility? How do we grow in humility? And I would love to just talk all day on this, but let me just, let me just point you real quickly to the number one thing that will help you and that has helped me and continues to help me grow in humility. And that is what we remember every single Sunday at the end of the message, when we take communion. See, the key to genuine sustaining humility is found in the gospel. It's found in the good news of Jesus. For the gospel of Jesus is the one thing 
that can truly humble us, that can truly make us low, and it's the one thing that can truly set us free from our need, our desire to appear above. Here's what I mean by that. The gospel, to use a Tim Keller phrase, can humble us to the ground and it lifts us to the heavens. Because here's the gospel. The gospel is, you are so flawed and imperfect that Jesus had to die for you. And yet, you are so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for you. And friends, when those two truths come home to your heart, you believe them, and you continue to chew on them, to meditate on them. You don't move past them. You go deeper into those two truths. Then you will grow in humility, and you will be set free from the need to appear above others. Here's why. For nothing can humble you more than admitting that you are so flawed and imperfect that God the Son, Jesus, had to die for you. And nothing will cancel out your need to appear above others and to be in control of your life and call the shots more than knowing that you are so loved that God himself willingly died for you. That's the definitive statement on that that you truly matter and that you're in good hands. See, the key to growing in humility in regards to how we interact with and speak to others is not simply watching what you say knowing that because of Jesus it's because of the cross you have nothing to prove you don't have to tear others down and try to appear above when you know that you are so loved that God died for you and you don't have to plan your future as if you are the only one looking out for you when you know you are so loved that God died for you and so you can submit your plans to him because you know he cares deeply See, friends, when you humble yourselves before the Lord, he will lift you up. The gospel humbles you to the ground and lifts you to the heavens. So as we take communion this morning, as we remember Jesus' body broken and his blood poured out for us, let this bring you low and let it lift you to the heavens so that you will be set free to humbly interact with others and trust God with your future plans. Let me, let me pray. Let me, Father God, would you bring that truth home to our hearts that we would be humble people, confident in our value and our worth and our place in your hands so that we would not have to try to appear above you or others, that we could humbly love our neighbor and honor you, our great God, who has loved us to this degree that you died for us, Jesus. God, would you grow us in humility? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.